Welcome back to the Energy Today podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Roos, and let's get into it. So this past week, I started my internship at ConocoPhillips, and I'm within their finance group, and I'll get into kind of what that means in a second. But it's been super interesting kind of seeing what is what goes on on the inside of an oil and gas company, because it's one thing to read about what's going on in the industry, and it's also one thing to really see it um, up front. So I'm working within the Bakken Capital Group. So the Bakken is a major oil basin up in North Dakota, um, kind of in that region. And basically what I'm working with and on is bringing um, oil rigs, oil projects from the idea, like the dirt, basically to ultimately production. And that's kind of where my group ends. So I'll be working on some projects related to that and kind of that pre-drill process of kind of figuring out different costs and how things uh, work throughout our systems. So been super interesting. I'm hoping to add some more perspectives on the industry kind of from that, from that role. So now I want to take a look at oil prices over the past week, some of the drivers that have been shaping um what that's been looking like, and also a pretty interesting Wall Street Journal article about Bitcoin's energy usage and some runways that I could see power plants in the energy industry have in the future. So WTI, West Texas Intermediate, the main U.S. gauge for crude oil is currently sitting at $63.58 per barrel. Still pretty sideways from basically the past couple of months. I mean, we almost broke 70 um, but still pretty sideways. I'm comfortable with this price range for a couple of reasons. The main one is that it doesn't give U.S. producers a really big incentive to start drilling much more. And as we roll out, as we roll out of the pandemic, I would like to see this price range stick because while we have gotten used to how things are and how people are operating, and we're not traveling as much business-wise. Um, leisure stuff is of course picking back up, but there's still so much uncertainty with how this thing will go and how it will end. There's such an uneven playing field right now as far as the pandemic goes. We have uneven vaccinations across many different countries here in the US. Um, I forgot the number specifically, but most people are vaccinated. We have different differing stimulus programs all over the world and rules around reopening, even here in the U.S. So there's still so much left unsaid and how that will impact people's patterns and companies, um, you know, energy demands and energy needs. And for oil demand specifically, many think that it is, many think that it is supposed to rise this year and the next, but, you know, projections are also just projections, right? There could be a world where the US, Canada, EU, and China are completely COVID free um, while the pandemic is still raging on in developing countries um, in places like Africa and, and South America. And even you think about India right now, I know they haven't hit the news cycle as much lately as far as how bad that's been going on over there, but I'm sure it's still raging on there and all the variants that can come out of that. Um, and I was talking to um, someone in my family who works pretty closely with um, vaccinations up in Austin and getting people vaccinated. And I asked her if the world and like companies in the economy could work if basically like the U.S. and like certain other big countries were siloed and were like completely um, COVID free and all those things. And she basically said no, because we're just so interconnected at this point. There's just no way that we can all operate 
independently. I mean, you think about the chip shortage and how that's affecting cars and computers and all those kinds of um, all those kinds of consumption needs. Um, so yeah, it, it's just really interesting and in, in how it pertains to oil prices and demand. Um, we'll really have to see. I mean, your guess is really good as mine. I really imagine that demand will continue to pick up and be strong, and we'll see more drilling on the side of oil companies, and as things look better around the economy and the playing field gets a little bit more even, that'll obviously be a good thing, Um, but it's still a very much wait-and-see mode. We're used to operating in the pandemic, but after and how companies can take advantage of that new environment is is really up for grabs. So... Shifting gears, still along the lines of oil prices, I wanted to look at a couple of drivers that shape oil prices. So the first one would be rig counts. So rig counts for the week ended May 21st is currently sitting at 455. Um, Seems like a big number. It's actually just an increase of two from the prior week and 137 increase from a year ago. And like I've touched on earlier in other podcast, podcast episodes, Remember that year ago projection or uh, year ago comparisons are not that useful because think about a year ago today it was you know May twenty third twenty twenty right not a not an incredible time for really anybody and much less the oil and gas industry so just be mindful of that so an increase of two I would actually offset a little bit so we had increases coming from Oklahoma and New Mexico and declines coming from Louisiana and Texas. So they net together to get us to an increase of two. I can't necessarily explain why um, that increase of two is certainly relevant. But the big thing with this indicator is that you don't really want to see a lot of movement up or a lot of movement down. Um, A lot of movement down would signify that uh, oil and gas companies are, are very nervous about the future and wanting to shut in as fast as possible, which doesn't really look good for any anybody involved, and also a high increase in the rig count. So if like rig counts increase by 30, 35, um, that would indicate a lot more production that is going to come online at a certain point in the future and could weigh down on prices. And weighing down on prices is, again, never good for anybody. So as far as inventory goes, inventories here in the U.S., again, you got to think about them like the supply side of the equation here. So um, for the weekend in May 14th, U.S. commercial crude oil inventories, um, that does not include the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, which basically held by the government for strategic reasons, government reasons. Um, so they, the oil inventories increased by 1.3 million barrels from the prior week and currently sitting at around 1% above the five-year average. So really, again, not, not a huge deal here, but it's always important to look at because it does represent the supply side of the equation. So big increases or decreases like we saw back in April of 2020, whenever the world basically stood still. Um, Very important to focus on and obviously not a good thing, moving too much one way or the other. So now something I've actually never talked about on the show, I wanted to shift gears and talk about Bitcoin. Um, It's energy um, consumption, energy needs, and then also um, what that can look like with the energy industry and more specifically power plants going forward. So if you've been following the news at all the past um, few weeks, really honestly since um, the whole GameStop thing happened, Bitcoin's always kind of been in the news and same as so has Dogecoin and, and all of those other altcoins. So Bitcoin has caught some flack over the past week, um, specifically as Elon Musk expressed concerns about it's fossil fuel usage um, that's utilized to actually mine it and make these Bitcoin or you know generate these Bitcoin. Um, you know, I hold my own opinions about the importance of Bitcoin and why I think it's really important for the future, especially for countries where they don't have control of their monetary system. 
Um, so I don't necessarily see the fossil fuel usage uh, of Bitcoin as a huge concern, but nonetheless, the purpose of me talking about this, I'll get to in a minute, but Tesla will no, also no longer accept Bitcoin as payment for their cars. Um, those are going to, they start, I think they have 1.5 billion um, dollars worth of Bitcoin on their books. Um, it's really interesting considering the electricity that's utilized to power Tesla cars is often produced from fossil fuels is how they actually fuel the car. So while the burning of it's not dirty, but the energy consumption that's put or the energy that's put into the car um, is not necessarily the cleanest, but really not my place here um, to criticize. But it's super interesting how companies are adopting Bitcoin and, and how that could shape that future. But again, this isn't a Bitcoin prod- podcast, so I won't um, go into too much detail on that. But shifting more specifically to the Wall Street Journal article where I heard about this whole thing, and it's talking about Bitcoin and the energy consumption used to mine it. So what Elon Musk was referencing was the amount of energy um, that is utilized to actually produce the Bitcoin and unlock the and unlock the Bitcoin. So Bitcoin does utilize quite a bit of energy. Specifically, it consumes the mining operations consume 110 terawatt hours per year in electricity, which for comparison purposes is roughly equal to the power needs of Sweden for a year. Um, and a quick quote from that Wall Street Journal article: It goes, "Quote." To operate securely, the cryptocurrency network relies on computers solving puzzles. In return, the the solvers get fresh Bitcoin. The higher the Bitcoin price, the more of these miners compete to solve the puzzles, a process that chews up electricity. The more competition, the harder the puzzles get, and the more electricity is used. So it's basically this cycle is the more people get into the Bitcoin market, the the more people that adopt it, more people that mine it, the more electricity that's going to be required. Um, and I have heard varying articles about Bitcoin using renewable energy. Um, I personally don't think that Bitcoin using renewable energy is should be a big focus right now. If we're going to talk about renewable energy, we should talk about actually just powering homes and that sort of thing, um, as opposed to talking about Bitcoin. But again, not necessarily, not necessarily a bad thing. So, how this relates to the energy industry? So, power plants here in the U.S. Um, have been under constant pressure for a long time now to shift um, from coal to natural gas and now even getting pressure to shift from natural gas to renewables or changing their business model to make it into more of a, more of a, a green economy and a green future. So there's been talk and there's been a couple of company, a couple of oil or uh, coal burning plants um, that have been shut down for some time to reopen up and use the, their their resources and power to to help mine Bitcoin. Um, so they're gonna re, they're gonna retool the coal plant to use natural gas as a fuel source, set up mining operations to actually mine the Bitcoin. So ref, referring to the the quote that I told you, um, the miners use the energy to complete the puzzles, all of those things. So they're gonna set up the mining operations, utilize the fuel source from the power plant to mine cryptocurrency. Um, and why they would do that, right? So they can mine cryptocurrency for less than it takes to sell one, then they can make a huge profit off of that uh, on the spread there. So also natural gas is a much more clean burning fuel source compared to coal. Um, so definitely, I guess, a good thing there. Um, this article does reference one plant in upstate New York that has done this. And more specifically, there's a new or a new-ish plant um, over in 
Montana called, quote, Harden Generating Station. Um, they partnered with another company to turn the plant into a mining operation utilizing natural gas. And due to the size and scope of the plant that they can, that this company has, right, over, over electricity generation, they can power a mining operation at a discount to other mining operations in countries all over the world, right? And this is almost sparking like a almost an arms race. Now other countries are going to be like, hey, like how can we compete against U.S. miners? Um, so one thing to note here is that investors in this project include BlackRock and Renaissance Technologies. And for those that don't know those names, they are absolutely massive names in the investment industry. Some of the strongest out there. And if you get those two companies behind you, Absolutely nobody is not going to throw money at whatever it is that you want to do. I mean, you could open a lemonade stand and if they were backing you, they would, you wouldn't, you could borrow money for like 2% of interest. So anyways, this venture specifically with all of these companies will have a cost of production of $4,600 per Bitcoin compared to the current price of $32,000 today. Um, Bitcoin has taken a beating over the past few weeks. I won't get into the details of that, but it's basically covered on every news publication out there. So I'd encourage you to check it out. But the reason that I'm talking about all of this, it's been a long time coming to this point. And this article and this development has a lot of implications for new runways for energy demand and energy growth in the future, right? So we thought that coal burning plants were a thing of the past. They're going to sit there and almost be like a national pastime or, or museum type thing. Um, but now, because of America and our ingenuity to create new industries and opportunities for ourselves, capitalism, right, is we're using our resources to generate something that's actually going to drive a lot of good change in the future and that's going to become really important into the future. And it's not just Bitcoin, but you think about all the other things that we could utilize energy companies and energy resources for, and it really opens up a whole new world of possibilities. Um, And whether these opportunities require new kinds of fuel consumption, like like green technologies or any of those things, you know, we'll see. Um, But again, it's just really exciting to see this kind of this thing happen. Right. And too often do people and in the news and the press want to want to call the energy, um, want to start reading reading the eulogy for the energy industry. And it's just simply not going to be the case because there's so many smart people. I mean, so many smart people that work in this industry and so many just incredibly passionate people that work in the oil and gas industry. And thinking about my time at ConocoPhillips, just for the week that I've been there, I've met so many really intelligent, really capable people that are very driven and want to work really hard and actually do something important in life. Um and they're just not going to go away. We're going to find new ways. And this goes for any industry, not just the energy industry. But I just get really excited about the energy industry. Um, so there's going to be so many different so many different things that we can do in the future. And also energy companies are going to be able to pivot very well for whatever comes next. Whether that's an oil and gas future or a renewable future, I think it'll be a little bit of both. Um, or maybe oil and gas companies go into crypto mining. I, you know, I don't know. The, the, the possibilities are really endless. So... That is all that I have for today's episode. As always, I will drop the links to the articles in the show notes. I'd encourage you to check those out if you have some time. Thank you all for tuning in. I will see you all next time and have a great week.